H-U-P-L-P in Hillsboro, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff, rake it up And take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. My name is Jeff Shaw, and I'm happy to be with you today on a beautiful Sunday from North Carolina. As you know, the show is focused on jujitsu, but if you listen regularly, you also know that we consider jujitsu a fighting art. And so the bulk of today's show is going to be about mixed martial arts and the local MMA scene. Part of that is because we just had a full packed weekend of martial combat sports in North Carolina with two MMA cards, with one prominent local competitor competing in an international Brazilian Jiu Jitsu tournament, and a bunch of other fun stuff going on. So we're going to recap that. Because I attended the Next Level Fight Club show last night in Raleigh, North Carolina at the fairgrounds at the Kerr Scott building, uh, the bulk of this show is going to be related to that. We're going to talk to two people who participated in that card. We're going to talk to our friend Trevor Hayes, who cornered two fighters and was supposed to corner or three, but he'll tell us why that didn't work out in a second. And we're going to talk to Cody Malte, black belt from Elevate MMA, who also fought in the co-made event, returning to the cage for the first time since his fight in the World Series of Fighting. We're excited to talk to both of those guys. We're also going to recap uh, much of the local happenings in jiu-jitsu with a couple of really fun surprises. So before we get into that, I'm going to tell you how to get a hold of us. You can always let us know if there's anything we missed or that's upcoming at dirtywhitebelt.com. On dirtywhitebelt.com, you can submit events to our events calendar. That'll help us know if you have a seminar coming to the area, if you have an open mat that everybody should attend, if you are competing at, say, the uh, IBJJF Atlanta Open, which is next weekend, you can submit events, and that way everyone in the community sort of knows what's going on. It's going to be a really useful resource. If you need to get a hold of us directly, you can email the show, cagesidewhup at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us on Facebook at Dirty White Belt or on Instagram, Dirty White Belt, or on Twitter at DWB Radio. So let's get right into it. There's a lot going on that's coming up, and I'm going to tell you about that first before we recap the Next Level Fight Club show. First of all, we're putting on our first seminar, and we're putting on our first seminar with the best in the world. Dominika Oblenica is the reigning, defending, two-time, absolute, and weight class world champion, gold medalist at the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Worlds. She's won the last two years in a row, 2015 and 2016, her weight and the open weight class. And she's coming to do two seminars, one at Elevate MMA for women only on February 17th. That's a Friday night. So if you're a woman and would like to train with Dominica, it's a very reasonable price on Friday, February 17th. You can also go to the co-ed seminar February 18th at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Durham, North Carolina. That's February 18th at 11 a.m. You can also get a special price if you want to sign up for both. Of course, that's open to women only. You can come to, uh, you can go to dirtywhitebelt.com slash shop and pre-register. Get yourself a price break on that. So why not start the new year training with the best in the world, Dominica Oblenica. We're really excited to have her down for our first ever Dirty White Belt seminar. I'm also really excited personally just to learn a bunch of her techniques and uh, hopefully take that game to that next level. Before that, two upcoming events that I want to tell you about. First of all, uh, the Atlanta Open, the IBJJF tournament com- that comes closest to, to North Carolina, at least uh, before they started doing tournaments in Charlotte, is February 4th. That's next weekend. If you are competing, if you're a local jiu-jitsu competitor, please send us a message either on Facebook or send us an email to let us know. We would like to track your progress. I know that Greg Walker, a terrific Gustavo Machado black belt who has competed on the Toro Cup card, is going out there. I know that Ryan LaFree is coming out there. So if anyone else, if, you, if, you, if you're um, headed to Atlanta, do let me know. The weekend after Atlanta is a big event that has been a long time coming and a long time prepping for, and that is Toro Cup 6. Um, the latest iteration of Toro Cup is going to be the biggest and hopefully the best yet. There's more than 20 matches. There's at least three sick black belt matches that I know of. And as a preview for next week's show, we are going to get up with John Bagels Telford uh, this weekend to talk about uh, to talk about who made the matches for Toro Cup, and we're going to break down all those matches with John. 
Speaking of John Bagels Telford, we're going to end up the news segment by talking about a tremendous achievement that he just that, that we're really happy for him about. So uh, John uh, attended the UAE, the United Arab Emirates Jiu-Jitsu Federation Pro Tournament down in Orlando this weekend. Now, the UAE JJF is the same the same people that put on the Abu Dhabi World Pro, the most prestigious, probably no gi grappling tournament in the world. They also put on gi tournaments. And so John went down to the UAE, Orlando professional, and won the brown belt division at his weight. Uh, John had won bronze before, so this is a real step up for him. Very, very pumped and very proud of John Telford. Uh, So congratulations to Bagels. We're going to get him on the show and talk to him this week. For most of the show, we are going to talk about Next Level Fight Club's card last night in Raleigh, North Carolina, Next Level Fight Club 6. This was certainly the best Next Level Fight event that I've been to. It was the best run. It had a bunch of tremendous fights, and it had several really outstanding finishes, four or five, depending on how you count finishes. I want to enumerate some of those, and we'll be talking to some of the people that watched and delivered them over the course of the show. First of all, in the main event, Alan Crowder won by slam, by basically rampage slam TKO, where he picked his up, up his last-minute opponent, Chase Gamble, slammed him, knocked him pretty close to unconscious. Um, in a normal card, this would be the knockout of the night, but instead my knockout of the night vote goes for Chris Hurd, who we'll talk to on the course of the show in just a second, who hit a three-piece combination that renders a, his opponent uh, unconscious on the way down, and just a brutal KO finish in 13 seconds. Super exciting to watch, and uh, you'll hear Chris talk about his hard work over the course of the show. A couple of sick guillotine finishes as well. We'll talk to Cody Malte uh, for our featured interview for the last half hour of the show about his mounted guillotine finish of James Ronsick. And we also will talk with Trevor Hayes, who cornered several fighters, about Anthony the Dark Horse Wright guillotining his opponent and actually guillotining him unconscious. I ended up watching that about five feet away, and it was uh, a really a sight to behold. But for now, we're going to talk to our favorite Muay Thai guy and corner man to the stars, Mr. Trevor Hayes. Hi, Dirty White Belt Radio. How are you today? Uh, living the are dream. You dirty? I'm always dirty, Trevor. You know that. Trevor Hayes, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the scintillating uh, Muay Thai coach to the stars, the corner man from last night. Uh, we're just about to get talking about So we're talking for the bulk of the show about the Next Level Fight Club's sixth event in Raleigh, North Carolina, which happened last night. It was a packed card full, filled with really exciting finishes, and Trevor was an active participant in that card, cornered and coached two fighters, was supposed to corner three, and why don't we start by talking about what happened with that third fight and why that didn't end up going down? So let's just say I hope that Quan Spellman uh, can get his crap together and learn how to cut weight. Uh, very upsetting, very frustrating. Um, Jason Sunberg, who was supposed to fight him, he's a good kid. He's a, he's a transplant from Milwaukee, trained with, uh, Eric Schaefer and Duke Rufus, great kid to have in the gym. Um, he agreed to take the fight at 135, with it being Dave Wayans. He's normally a 125-er. Uh, with Daquan, I recall him, uh, weighing in for a 125 fight. He missed weight. At like the last time I saw him, so we're like, okay, there's he should we should we'll take the fight at 135 if he wants to fight. Um, the kid shows up 15 pounds overweight, uh, so I guess maybe the kid just didn't even try. Maybe he just wants to fight so he can have a cool Facebook profile picture or something. I don't know. Jason was a very class act. <laughs> Let's drill down into that a little bit because. When you told me this, or when, when it came out that he had missed weight by 15 pounds, uh, Betsy O'Donovan was sitting next to me, and she turned to me and asked, how does someone miss weight by 15 pounds? And I said words that you have basically repeated, which is pretty much the only way is to not try. Is that, is that your impression? That yes. they don't, I mean, especially at that weight, right? Like 15 pounds, if you're going to fight at 125 or 135, that's, I mean, that's like 10% of your body weight. How do you miss weight yeah, that Yeah, it's, it, it's insane. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I can sometimes understand, like, when guys might go through a new uh, lifting regimen, they might put on some muscle. They're not used to having a new bit of, like, muscle mass, and they might be a couple pounds off. Uh, Like, that's a very common thing that happens. Um, 
or sometimes the commission happens to put the scale on carpet, which I was very frustrated about. That's a different topic for another day, uh, like yesterday, which was ridiculous. Um, but 15 pounds is just absurd. Uh, I think the kid doesn't take fighting seriously. Uh, you know what? Maybe he'll get his stuff together and take it seriously one day. Like, it's just absurd. Well, let's. So I don't want Jason Sunberg to get lost in this because, you know, we've talked about this before. One of the most frustrating parts about any fight sport is to put in the work of a long camp, to the grind on your body, the discipline that it takes to eat right, and to, to do the professional thing and make weight, and then have your opponent miss weight. So, so talk a little bit about Jason's preparation, the hard work that he put in, and, and how ready he was for the fight. Uh, Jason's a very yes sir, no sir kind of kid. Well, actually, he's very yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. He'll sometimes say no sir when I ask him to wear something that's not uh, uh, spats or or Valley Tudos because that is the only thing that can wear. That is the only thing he says no sir. I will not wear Muay Thai shorts. So I'm just like, all right, you're a good kid. I'll let you slide. Um, but uh, you know, he 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 put the work in. Um, uh, very grateful for a. Cody at Elevate for opening the doors for him to go over there for the evening MMA practices, which are MMA practices in the morning. So uh, he, he twice a week went to Cody for drilling and sparring. Uh, really appreciative for that. Cody's the man for that. Um, he, he'd come in, and he would put the rounds in. He'd put the work in. He dieted, and he was good to go. He woke up, uh, I think, 0.6 pounds over from what he was supposed to weigh in at. I mean, he, he took it professionally, you know. He had a, and uh, I got to find his, his post on Facebook. It was a very class act post. He, he, he wished nothing but well things for Daquan. Uh, I mean, stuff happens. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry that Jason... I, I, think, I, I think myself and, and Daniel Branch were more upset than he was. Yeah. Uh, Jason was definitely bummed out for not fighting, but I think like uh, uh, our, our inner rednecks were coming out with uh, Branch. We were a little frustrated. So. Well, the frustration is understandable, and it is... It is- <laughs> And so I'm sa- I'm sorry that Jason didn't get to fight, but it sounds like he approached the fight as well as he possibly could, and I'm sure he'll get a different opportunity in the future. Another of your fighters that, that I wanted to talk to you about that you cornered was our, our guest last week, John Shell. And so I love John Shell so much, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. I mean, John John is was- uh, like the the local community really has a tremendous amount of respect for John, and I think that the reasons why have been on display during the lead up um, to this fight. And so I have my own impressions of the fight, but I, but I want to hear yours. Man, I, he did outstanding. Uh, I, I've, you know, a, a knockout loss like that. Hey, like there's, there's no shame in that. Um, it, <laughs> John Shell is just one of those guys. He's 42 years old. He's like, if I'm gonna do it, I'll just go ahead and do it. Like I don't care. Like I, I had it in my head, and I just said I'll do it. Um, and uh, he fought a kid half his age, very experienced kid. Um, it, uh, you know, he did outstanding in that fight. For some that really hadn't had had a whole lot of MMA training, uh, he kind of really started MMA training with this camp, and um, he had some amazing training partners. He did everything right from the get go. Um, the 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 switch flipped definitely in that first round. You could tell he started playing some sport jujitsu, then he got punched in the face. He was like, "Oh no, I shouldn't be here." And I, I think he did outstanding against a much younger opponent. Um, they broke off the cage. John's hands were coming back to his face off that break, and uh, the kid just hit him. He went down, and then he followed up. The kid executed the follow-ups perfectly. Uh, my favorite thing about that uh, was John's reaction. Um, he's on the stool. He looks up and just says, hey, man, did I just lose? And I said, yeah, John, you did. Oh, okay. Well, I remember getting punched and standing up. And I was like, John, you stood up into about three or four more punches. Oh, man, what a bummer. And you know what? That, that guy's going to be back in the gym on Monday like nothing happened. Yeah, most definitely. And, and he's going to beat in Toro Cup in, uh, in a couple weeks, so just like nothing yeah. happened. And, and, like, and, and like, I don't want to get this to get lost in the shuffle, too. Like, you've highlighted, you know, John legitimately fought a guy half his age, like 21 years younger than he was, a kid who was experienced. He fought and, half his age, bigger, more athletic. Like, just, just he, fought a, he fought a very talented kid. Yeah, and, John did not take an easy fight for his first fight. And and let's also like I, I do want to you know John did wind up losing uh, by TKO in the in the about a minute into the second round. But that first round, that first round really could have gone either way. I thought John acquitted himself yeah. super well in that first round. Came out aggressive, um, w- did some uh, some some good striking. Was was able to reverse the grappling positions pretty well. And so you know, uh, especially you know as someone that, that is John's age, uh, I gotta I gotta say big respect. Nothing but props for for getting to the cage, especially with a tough opponent like that. Yeah, 
absolutely. There, there's no, there's no shame in that at all. I think, I think the community loves John even more in a loss. <laughs> and so, so do you want to talk about like I'm not sure how much of the fights that you didn't corner that you got to watch. Um, um so I, I missed uh, everything because I had my guys were one and three, uh, and then I saw the amateur title fight. I saw the end of that where the guy tapped out the cardio. Oh yeah. And uh yeah, he th- did he throw up in the cage. Did I see that right? So I think as it turned out and we we get into the nitty-gritty details here on Dirty White Belt Radio as it turned out he was dry heaving and the reason that I know that. Uh, okay, it, I saw the bucket I came out and I'm like Andrew's throwing up in the cage right now. That's so, disgusting. So here's the thing between rounds 1 and 2, he calls for the bucket and 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 Betsy O'Donovan and Lindsay Dethridge who I train with are like, "Oh, is he vomiting in the bucket?" I'm like, "No, he's probably just spitting in the bucket." But they're like, "No, he grabbed it really quickly and and then it did really look like he was puking in the bucket." And then, so then the, the, they go to the second round. He ends up getting mounted and just kind of is like, I'm done, I'm done. And gets the, bu- like, grabs the bucket and immediately begins doing what looks like vomit again. And I'm like, okay, well, he's definitely puking this time because he's on his knees. He's, yeah. he's not getting up. But then someone kicked over the bucket, and I'm like, oh, that's going to be a problem. No, oh, did that really happen? That really happened. Oh, oh, really, but really oh, happened. God, I totally missed that. No, no. I, know I, I heard some, like, disgusting noises, and I was like, did someone, like, what happened? I was just... I was uh, caught up just talking to people, so I and, think and I that, that fight. Yeah. yeah, well, well, fortunately, and this is the only reason I know because, like, sincerely, he was on his knees doing, going through all the motions of you know vomiting up whatever whatever is in the guts. And the only reason I know that, as it turned out, it was dry heaves. Is someone kicked the bucket over, and I was like, "Wow, I hate to be the dude that has to clean the cage job." But as it turned out, it wasn't wasn't anything in the bucket. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> this is incisive reporting here on Dirty White Belt Radio. <laughs> So I'm sorry. The indeed, indeed. I mean, that's what that's what the listeners have come to expect. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately, you didn't get to watch most of the other fights, but you did corner Evan Daniel in a fight against El- Elias. Elias Briley, yeah, very. That kid, Elias, you know, great, talented kid. Um, we were hearing reports of him being eight zero in kickboxing. Someone said he was sixteen zero between kickboxing and boxing, and uh, Evan was like, "Okay, cool. Like, I don't care." Um, Evan's been with me for for roughly a year now. Um, and, and, you know, with that fight, um, when people lose, it happens. Uh, I think, you know, Evan, he came out strong. The only thing that was frustrating is that every time Evan was getting off to do something right, the kid did, the other kid did something dirty. Uh, you know, uh, a fight is a fight. Um, I told him, like, look, man, if we're in Virginia, then, yeah, we train for elbows and knees. And, you know, when you're in an amateur fight, you're not expecting to get kneed in the face. Like, yeah, it throws you off. Um, Evan caught a couple illegal knees, an elbow to the back of the head that cut him open, uh, a couple kicks to the groin. Like every time Evan would engage or get something off and hit the kid right, the kid would go low, do something dirty. Or every time he stood up against the cage, the kid was hitting him in the back. I mean, just really dirty little things that were just frustrating as a coach to see. And uh, Evan, uh, you know, he went out there, he was ready to go out on his shield. Larry, uh, three different times, said, Hey, do we need to call the fight? Uh, and he said, nah, I'm still here, man. It's whatever. Yeah, and so Larry yeah, Carter was right. It, it, it was a really frustrating fight, yeah. And, and, and we are talking to Larry afterwards, and, uh, you know, Larry deducted two points from the kid for fouls. And Larry said the only reason he didn't DQ the kid is because there were three separate fouls on occasion. And I was like, how does that work? So, but, but hey, it's it's fighting. I mean, stuff happens. Yeah, that was unfortunate. And like, you know, as a spectator watching the fight, you know, obviously it was it's particularly frustrating for you as the coach. As a spectator, we were actually kind of confused about what was going on because one one thing that I think local fight organizations can do a little better is educate the crowd about the differences in the rules because many there there was a mix of amateur and pro fights. And so a bunch yes. of guys around me were like, "What? Did he poke him in the eye?" I didn't th- and I was like, "No, no, you can't knee to the head. Um you can't knee to the head in amateur." And then he was on on the ground, looked like he was at first he was throwing hammer fists and then and he started mixing in elbows, and it's like, nah, he can't elbow the kid in the face. And in the, in the yeah, not just that, they're like directly to the back of the head. I mean, Evan's oh. back of the head looks like a, uh, it's lumpy. It looks like he shoved his head in a beehive. And you can tell, and you can you can really tell because of that haircut too. I mean, the undercut. Oh yeah, his his, his haircut. Now that's why we gave him the nickname Hard Part. So. <laughs> well, I'm sorry but, uh, that the. You well, know what? Yeah. It, it was just it was just a frustrating night, but uh, uh, all in all, <clears throat> it was a great night. Um. This fight card and and the fights that happened uh, on Friday night with Jeremy Purdue and Keith Bell winning and the guys in Charlotte winning, uh, one thing that I'm happy about is that 
Uh, and you see all the posts coming up today is that it was a legitimate like team effort across the state for guys to get ready for fights. And that's one big thing we're trying to get going for. And and you know what? Yeah, it's frustrating. It was, it's a learning curve for me. I'm still new to coaching to see stuff like that. But I'm, I couldn't be happier to see how many guys on this card all train together to help each other out. Most definitely. Real community feel to the event. And for you personally, I saw that your dad was with you at the fights. That had to be a pretty exciting thing for you. Uh, what was that What was that like? Uh, that was cool, you know. Um, he, he, was, uh, he was impressed with me trying to be an adult. So I'm trying to do that kind of stuff now. And uh, so he thought it was kind of cool to see me uh, do my job. Because uh, funny story, we reconnected a couple years ago when I was about 28, and uh, he said, hey, you watch this fight and stuff on TV, it's pretty cool. And I was like, really, Dad? Really? 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 You know what I do for a living? So it was pretty cool to have him there so he could see me uh, work. It's pretty fun. It's always fun for me to watch you work, Trevor, and like you know, and uh, it's always it's fun to watch me for me to watch you, uh, you know, grow as a coach and continue to build this local Muay Thai scene, this local MMA scene, and so you know, sometimes you don't get the results you wanted, but I know that you guys and your you and your guys will be back in the gym and uh, continuing to build that community. So thanks for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think my dad had a line of the night with uh, Alan Crowder's slam knockout. <laughs> my dad was like, "Holy crap! I almost stood up on that one." Because for people that don't know, he's in a wheelchair. So, <laughs> he was like, I was trying to stand up to see what happened, but uh, oh well. So, man, it was that... funny. Yeah, the man, the the pro fights were great, man. Cody, Cody did a great job. Um, secured that guillotine. Short notice replacement with Adam Rosnick. Uh, he played smart. He got past those long range kicks. Got it down. Got the guillotine. That was awesome. Anthony Wright with that vicious uh, guillotine as well, putting the guy to sleep. I'll ask you one question, then we can we can uh, we can say goodbye. But like of the fights you got to see, what was the most impressive finish that you that you saw? Man, it's kind of a tie between Anthony and uh, Alan Crowder. You know, uh, Anthony came out just on a mission to to put that guy out, and then uh, he he put the guy out with the guillotine, like the guy just slumped over. That was an impressive win for Anthony. Um, and then uh, with with Alan Crowder. Good God, mm-hmm. that slam. I think, uh, like, you can see people going nuts, but I think a lot of people were standing up going, is that, is that guy okay? Like, we're actually really concerned. <laughs> yeah, no, Ch- Chase Gamble is not a small man, and Alan Crowder picked him up like a child and, and slammed him. And, uh, and yeah, like there was some legitimate concern there, but, um, but yeah, a, a night of, a night of really exciting fights. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that we were able to go out and experience it. And so speaking of which, uh, did you hear what happened with Alan Crowder's opponent originally? No. What happened with his original opponent? Uh, his original opponent showed up to weigh-ins on Friday for the pros, uh, 50 pounds overweight. So like five, zero. kind of. <laughs> Five zero, yeah. I, I'm sitting there with Nick Grady, and we 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 we, we thought we could hear it right where they said three fifteen, and uh, <laughs> Nick and I were like, "Do the math, wait, wait, did we hear that right? Wait, what?" And Alan Alan Trotter was like, "Hey, I'll take the fight, I don't care." So Chase Gamble uh, literally stepped up, uh, I think, like that night or or Saturday morning or something like that to take the fight with Alan Crowder. That, I mean, that, so that, he, he came in on less than 24 hours notice to take that fight. That, and then major props to Chase for that because, A, like, like, A, Chase is much smaller than Allen. I think Allen probably has 35, 40 pounds on him. Chase uh, just competed in a grappling tournament, I know, because I refed a bunch of his matches. And for, to take an out, and Allen is such a tough opponent. To take a fight like that on mm-hmm. that short of notice, I mean, that's, you know, props and to Chase. Chase was giving him the business, too, for a little bit. Yeah, Chase's wrestling skills were super impressive. Um, very, very moves very well for a big guy. I think his uh, his dreadlocks made him very aerodynamic to move. <laughs> it's important. Uh, yeah, sartorial choices yeah. matter a lot in MMA. Well, Trevor, it's awesome having you back on the show. We'll have to get you back in studio sometime to recap some of the uh, some local MMA events. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just uh, I might just try to make a guest appearance one day. Who knows? I might just like surprisingly wake up in Hillsborough or Durham, but ah, I'm in the studio. I'll just go walk in there so we are always anticipating and looking forward to the trevor hayes surprise <laughs> so that was trevor hayes our, our former co-host on the cage side concussion cast calling in and you know it's unfortunate that you know trevor trevor does a lot of great work in the local mma scene so it's always as he knows you know the fight game is tough and it's sometimes you work you work hard and you don't necessarily get the result you want but it was still a terrific card i also want to mention that uh, fight lab 
also had a fight card in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I sort of had to pick between which one of those I was going to go to. Uh, Next Level has put on great cards in the past, and it's closer, so I ended up going. But I definitely wanted to shout out two memorable fights from the Fight Lab card. Uh, James Quigg ends up finishing his fight with mounted strikes. You know, takes the guy down, passes his guard. Really tough to get James Quigg off the top if James Quigg gets you down and gets on top. And uh, his opponent couldn't escape mount, and Quigg ends up finishing with strikes from the mount. So congratulations to former show guest James Quigg. We haven't had Isaiah Monroe on the show yet. We'd love to get him. Isaiah is an active jujitsu and MMA competitor. Isaiah ended up with a dominating performance, did not get the finish, but won a unanimous decision, won all three rounds on the Fight Lab card in Charlotte. So congratulations to both James Quigg and Isaiah Monroe. The other things I want to mention about the Next Level Fight Club card. All right. For one thing, this was probably the best the best Next Level show yet. And that's exciting because it's always good to have really high quality local MMA uh, MMA cards in the area. We went for a while without MMA cards and now Next Level is really um, bringing that back. And so these were the best production values. It was the best run and it was on time. And there were a lot of extremely exciting finishes. So I'm going to talk with Cody about some of these. But before I have Cody call in, I want to talk to you about what I think were the most impressive fights. So some of which uh, Trevor already mentioned. So first of all, uh, Anthony the Dark Horse Wright, who fights out of Team Rock, ends up finishing his opponent uh, by guillotine, actually chokes the guy to sleep. And I was sitting right in front of this, uh, in front of the cage for this. Uh, He actually had to tell the ref that his opponent was out. And uh, it was just a virtuoso performance uh, on the part of Anthony Wright because uh, he had almost finished the fight with strikes before. I talked to Dewan Owens, who was cornering uh, many fighters, and he says he believed Anthony Wright was the most technical of the fighters that he, the, the most technical performance of any of the fighters that he saw. So, uh, great performance from Anthony Wright. That might be the submission of the night. Um, the other imp- most impressive finish, what Trevor, Trevor Hayes mentioned, Alan Crowder, the next level fight club heavyweight champion, the pretty boy, very impressive physical specimen as well as technical fighter, ends up finishing a fight by basically rampage slam, where his opponent, Chase Gamble, uh, who stepped in on less than 24 hours notice, uh, ends up having a, uh, so ends up on the bottom. Uh, they had some really cool grappling exchanges that were a, a real pleasure to watch. And when Alan Crowder got on top and Chase Gamble was trying to recover guard, Alan ends up being able to just wrap his arms around him, pick him up, and like Rampage Jackson did to Hikardo Arona back in the day, just slam him unconscious onto the mat, which is something you do not necessarily see all the time. That was the main event and a really exciting way to go out. So, I mentioned Cody's guillotine. I mentioned Alan Crowder's slam. I mentioned Anthony Wright uh, guillotining his opponent to sleep. All of these were really, really exciting finishes. But the knockout of the night came from Chris Hurd. And we're going to try to find, uh, you know, Gene Kim was there taking video, and I know he got video of this. So Chris Hurd, young fighter, ends up with the quickest finish and the knockout of the night where he hits a three-piece combination and his opponent was unconscious before he hit the mat, and his body was so limp. And, you know, that sometimes, you know, it's fighting, so sometimes grisly things happen. His opponent was so cold before he hit the mat that he actually hit the mat face first and bounced a good six inches into the air. Um, it was a really brutal and ter- terrifyingly effective finish. And I actually talked to Chris Hurd about that right after the fight, and I want you to hear what he said. So, Chris Hurd? Yes, sir. Uh, where do you train out of? Uh, Bronson MMA in Wilmington, North Carolina. You've got to be the favorite for knockout of the night so far. Can you tell us what, what you hit him with? Um, uh, we, we worked out straight a whole lot, you know. I'm really big. I got a really strong, really fast straight. So I saw him coming in. I saw him creeping in. He tried to come at me once. And I was like, all right, kind of get alert, you know, but composed at the same time. He came in a little bit stronger. I threw it straight down the shoot. I saw him. He was dazed, so I finished him off. Did you know immediately that he was out? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I did. I, did. I saw. I saw the look in his eyes. I saw him drop, and I was like, "It's over." Was the plan to stand with him, or did you have a different game plan for the fight? Just take what came to you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm an MMA fighter. You know, I'm a complete fighter. So if it would have went to the ground, I would have did it there. If it would have stand up, I would have did it there. So. Well, congratulations! Great performance. Anybody you want to thank? Uh, thank God. You know, thank all of my coaches. Thank everybody for coming out. You know, everybody for coming out to support me. So. Awesome. Well, great job tonight. Thank you so much. You guys got to see this knockout. So I don't know if they're going to post it on the Next Level Fight Club page or not, um, but we're going to find it and we're going to post it on our page. It was just such a you know incredible hand speed, terrific combination, and uh, you know sometimes you just catch somebody 
uh, totally clean, and that was what happened. So the uh, the knockout of the night has to go to Chris Hurd. 13 seconds in, um, the submission of the night, I would probably say would either would would go to Anthony Wright uh, for choking his opponent to sleep with a guillotine, at in a very exciting finish. But another potential submission of the night, Victor, would also be a guillotine from from Cody Malte, uh, the the head of Elevate MMA. Cody's a local guy, and so I want you to uh, to hear exactly how the crowd reacted to him. And now, his opponent making his way to the cage and finding out of the red corner, Cody Monte. Cody, how are you doing this morning? Doing fantastic, Jeff. How are you? I'm just great, man. Just great. It was really exciting to hear the crowd react to you. You got the biggest pop of the night. You know, local guy. It's been a while since you've been in the cage. And, uh, you know, you're super active in the community. And so you obviously had a lot of fan support from there. How, how, was, that, how was that like for you? It was, it was definitely a new experience. I mean, I think, you know, the last time I fought in North Carolina was when I was living in Las Vegas. And so, you know, I didn't know as many of the people in the scene, and I wasn't, you know, actively training with everybody. And so, you know, I'd, I'd come back and fight in North Carolina. I'd sell, like, 40, 50 tickets, and I'd have a lot of my close friends and family there. But, you know, this time, I think when it was all said and done, I probably sold about 130 tickets to this fight. And then on top of that, there was a lot of other people that I've trained with at different gyms or have known them for a long time. And so it was a whole different feeling to just, you know, walk in and know there was that many people that wanted me to do well that day. Yeah, and, and one thing that I noticed about your intro, and this is something that, you know, I've seen you fight a few times, you always seem to be relaxed and having fun out there, which, you know, is, is not the, the same experience that a lot of MMA fighters have. Is that is that true, or is that just a perception that, that, is crea- that, that you're creating? Uh, it's 100% true. I mean, the thing, and we talked about this a lot, actually, at the Academy this past week, coming off the U.S. grappling tournament, I think that every competitor and, and really anyone who wants to get better at any activity needs to like look back at times that they've done something really well and think about what mental state they were in. And I know people who get angry and fight better. And I know people who get really, um, you know, zen-like and, and still, and they do really well. But all my best moments are always when I'm happy and playful. And so as I'm going into the cage, I'm tapping into that. I mean, that's why I walk out to shout. It's a song that's anchored in a lot of positive experiences for me. And so right as I walk out, I feel that, you know, same rush of all those other times that I've heard that song in good moments. And I remember that this is exactly what I love to do. I'm doing the, you know, the thing that I love the most to to come out and get to do that in front of all those people. Is a great experience, so I'm so happy when they lock the door, I get even happier. That makes perfect sense. And as you mentioned, you know, the la- since the last time you fought in North Carolina, you've opened Elevate MMA, a growing school, and you had a huge portion of your tribe there with you. Did that? Did you feel any more pressure because you had so many students in the audience, or was was or was you know compared to past fights, was there more pressure, or was it more fun, or a little a little of each, or neither? At the beginning of fight camp, there was a ton of pressure. I felt, you know, most gyms kind of dip a little bit November, December and have a little bit of, a, of you know, a moment where they kind of pull back a little bit. And then at the beginning of the next year, you know, people start flowing in again. And so we had that, but being a new gym is a little bit more nerve-wracking. And I'm wondering if, you know, being in this fight camp is going to take away and detract from the gym. And I'm wondering if... You know, if I lose the fight, will that reflect poorly on the gym? And then in this last month, you know, all these things that I hoped would come to pass regarding the gym has, and the quality of training, even when I'm not available to be there at the gym, has really stepped up. We've got two new black belts that are a part of the academy now, and Mark Yates and John Howard. And so all that stuff has really helped. It took a lot of the pressure off. So I knew that, you know, with or without me, Elevate MMA Academy could succeed every day. But, you know, I really wanted to get the victory just because I'm a very processed-based person, and so I knew the process I went through to get through this fight was correct. But 
for people who don't understand that mindset, when you don't have the result to back up your process, it's very hard to get them to buy in. So, you know, for all the people who wanted, you know, crazy things happen in MMA. And, you know, we watched a lot of good fighters last night not get the result they thought they were going to get. And so for me, you know, I wanted to make sure that the results matched up with my process. So that was kind of where I put my pressure. I wanted to be able to get additional buy-in from my students and any future students of when I was telling them certain methods. As of the co-main event, you were the second-to-last fight. But, you know, I, and I don't know, different fighters do different things. Did you watch any of the other fights beforehand, or were you too busy with your own mental preparation? I try to stay pretty low-key, but I definitely watched uh, John Shell's fight and Evan Daniels' fight just because I spent some time training with those guys in the lead-up, and I really like both of them as people as well. Um, I peeked out at Anthony Wright's fight, so I got to see that sweet guillotine finish, which I'm always a, a big lover of those. And uh, so I got I got to see a couple, but, you know, most of the time I was just sitting in the back corner of the dressing room relaxing. And, you know, most people want to fight early in the card and get it over with. And I'm the opposite. I like fighting as late as possible because I just, the dressing room clears out more. So logistically, it's easier to get ready. And that makes sense. I'd never, I'd never heard that before because I, my experience is most guys do want to be, want to be early on because they experience that nerve. But I, I imagine that your experience as a fighter probably helps minimize the nerves over the course of the evening. Is that, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, no, I almost get calmer as it gets close to time. And the other thing, so there was, you know, obviously Alan Crowder had a really late opponent switch. Mm. So there was a moment when he, it looked like his opponent fell through. It didn't seem like they were going to be able to get somebody on that short notice to come fight him because Alan's an animal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought I was going to get to be the main event, and I was, like, so excited. I, you know, I'm all about... Those those little things. So to have, to build up through the entire night and then to get to close the show. But now now the next level knows how much of a crowd shows up for the fights. Um, hopefully, I can get that main event spot next time. Was there any talk of you and your opponent doing a handicap tag team match against Alan Crowder by himself? Because I think the way it would be roughly similar. Let's see, yeah, we would be like two ninety combined, and Alan's two forty four. That seems but my opponent's really, you know, he's got all the height in the world, and I could bite Alan on the ankle, so we would have a chance, I think. So that leads us well into talking about your fight. Your opponent, James Ronsick, was a, is a tall, rangy guy, experienced grappler. I've seen him compete at local grappling tournaments. What did you know about him going into the fight, and did you have a specific game plan? So let's see. I found out on Tuesday, I believe, that... Or sorry, no, I found out on Monday. My opponent pulled out. Um, his house suffered some damage in the tornadoes. So, you know, best wishes to him in, in recovering from that. And they were floating a bunch of different names out. So as they were coming in, of people that were out there that might potentially take the fight, I was immediately getting on YouTube and starting to do my research. And luckily there's some good databases out there. We can see, you know, who guys have fought and everything else. And, uh... Cheyenne, who's one of my students and was my main pad holder for this camp, he was, you know, instrumental in that as well. We had done so much work together. And luckily, you know, my original opponent was a 5'8 wrestler. And Ronsick was, you know, 6'1 grappler, a really rangy guy. But some of the concepts that I wanted to use in the fight actually ended up being very similar. And so we didn't really have to change too much in terms of what we're doing pad work. So we, you know, the last couple practices where normally I wouldn't have been doing as much technical work and would have just been, you know, kind of tuning the engine, we went a little bit a deeper dive technically and kind of drilled basically like three counters to every single move we saw him use on tape. So that's kind of how we got ready, you know, and you know, he's a game guy. I, sh- I give all the respect to him in the world. I mean, the guy's fought over 55 times now. And he wasn't cutting any weight. He showed up for the rehydration weigh-in, like 0.6 pounds heavier than he was at weigh-ins. Wow. So he was giving up some weight by the time he got in the cage and, and everything else. And, you know, for a guy to give up those advantages and know that he's facing an opponent on, you know, I'm at the tail end of my camp and I'm, you know, fully prepared and, and he's just showing up. So I give him all the respect in the world for being, you know, a tough guy and everything else. He definitely, just because of the height, you know, it's one of those natural advantages that makes things a little tricky sometimes. 
Yeah, for sure. It can be tricky to fight a guy like that's that's six foot one, one about one forty five. He looked to be, and I noticed during the fight. We, we let, let's talk about let's break down the actual fight itself now. He he seemed to be after you got on top. He seemed to be trying to break your posture and go to a rubber guard style position. And uh, but you were able to maintain posture pretty successfully. Um, was that something that you had prepared for that you had seen him do? Was that part of the the drills that you that you talked about? Yeah, so right off the bat, you know, I know he comes out, um, he came out always orthodox stance, and then he typically would throw right body kick left, followed by a left body kick. And if you watch the fight, you know, he, he comes out, I faint at him a couple times, he throws right body kick, left body kick. Then he comes out, I think he threw one more, and then maybe like one punch, and then we ended up in the clinch. And I know that when he clinches, he likes to set his legs in a way that he can pull straight to guard. So when we got in the clinch, I never had both my legs inside his legs, so he couldn't he couldn't pull to you know his favorite position basically. So when he did pull guard, it ended up being in my half guard, and I was able to land some good shots there. But then we did get back in the guard at one point, and yeah, he likes to basically he's so long that he can triangle his legs when both your arms are in over your at shoulder height, which you know not many guys can do that. So I, I knew I'd seen it on tape a bunch of times, and a lot of guys had gotten caught trying to pull out, you know, of that position or, or letting their head stay down. But you know, as I said in the interview last night, I've been very fortunate to travel around the world and train with everybody. I've trained with a lot of tenth planet schools. I've trained with a lot of people who are, you know, six one, six two, six three, really lanky and and tough to deal with in that regard. So it's not. I've seen the body type and I've seen the techniques before and I know kind of how to diffuse the bomb, so to speak. So mm -hmm. I just took my time and, and relaxed and, and tried to land some really good shots and soften them up and just kind of make life miserable. Yeah, almost all of the striking took place once you were on the ground on top in half guard, it seemed. It didn't seem like there were a lot of strikes thrown on the feet. Yeah, I landed that one little skip-out kick, which was a big part of the plan. I, was, I mean, my intention going into the fight was to stand the entire fight. I wasn't going to shoot, but I knew he potentially could pull guard, but I was hoping the fact that I was a black belt was going to cause him not to do that, and then we would have to fight on the feet. But he pulled anyway, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I wasn't going in looking for a ground fight, but I'm not going to turn one down. <laughs> And so, so it does wind up being a ground fight. And you know, we've mentioned this a couple times before you called in, but I want you to break down the finish. So, once you're on top in half guard, you're able to land some pretty good shots. You're able to sort of, as you say, make life miserable through pressure. Uh, and you wind up, and uh, you wind up wrapping that left hand around and securing the chin for the guillotine. And maybe you can talk us through the guillotine finish that you get. Yes, yeah, so as you watch. Um... So we'll throw a little plug in here. If you go back and watch the Toro Cup match that I did with Jonathan Wirtz, and it's, it's on, uh, I think it's, Jeff, it's on the Toro page, right? It sure is. Yeah, it's on the Toro Facebook page. So if you go back and watch that match, you can see that I go half guard, slide my knee out, and then wrap the neck, and then get the guillotine that way. And it was the exact same finishing sequence. I mean, that was my first match as a black belt going against another black belt. And MMA fight, you know, I've hit that finish in competition so many times. I probably have over 100 between grappling competitions and MMA. Just that sequence. And so I, we'd been playing in the guard, and he made a mistake and left his guard open, so I stepped over into the half. And I started consolidating my position, and I heard 30 seconds left. And in the back of my mind, I was like, well, I don't think I can – take care of all the steps I need to take care of to get this finish in those 30 seconds. But I'm going to keep progressing, and maybe he lets me get through everything faster than I expect. And he didn't. He was playing good defense. But then all of a sudden, after I'd been working for about 20 seconds, I heard someone else yell, 30 seconds left. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, now I've got more than enough time to take care of this. Hmm. So, you know, I had that extra 30 seconds, so I popped around. Like you said, I wrapped the neck, and then I came through to, you know, one of my favorite variations. And because there was short time on the clock, I knew I could go to this and not have to worry about any of the consequences if it didn't work. So I had basically what I call the push-up guillotine, where I've got, you know, my left arm through and then my right hand pushing my left hand up 
And then in terms of like leg position, I had basically, I was laying completely on my side with my right leg draped across his back. So I kind of had everything that I like to have in a guillotine. Like that's one of my ideal, if I had to tap an 800 pound silverback gorilla, that's how I would try to do it. So hopefully you're not in that position. Yeah. Seeing seeing as how I only had to tap out 145 pound human, I was like, well, this one's a done deal. And I, I was just waiting on the tap at that point. Most definitely. So, uh, so transitioning from your fight and speaking of silverback gorillas, you did get to watch the Alan Crowder uh, Chase Gamble fight. I saw just a, I saw him slam him and, and hit him a couple times. So I didn't see. I heard Chase gave a, a pretty good account of himself, and on short notice came out, and you know the match was a little back and forth. But then I heard Alan picked him up, slammed him. And, him a little bit. Yeah, that's a really fair assessment of it, uh, and we won't spend too much time on it because it didn't sound like you you watched the whole fight. But Chase did give a give give a really good account of himself. Had really good wrestling skills. I thought the grappling exchanges were actually really even, despite Chase coming in on short notice and giving up a lot of weight to Allen, who is an animal. But um, then once Allen gets a hold of you and is able to lift your body in the air, it's uh, it's nothing good is going to happen from there from the perspective of the person being lifted. Um, and so, yeah, you talked about, but but, and that was the main event of this card. And you talked about maybe a goal being a main event on a next next level card. Is that uh, is that something you're already thinking about your next fight? I mean, right now I'm in the uh, you know honeymoon. The fight just ended, period. And so, you know, I'm thinking about you know fighting every week from now until the end of my life and and winning them all and and everything else. I'm you know on cloud nine. But the the biggest thing now is I need to sit down with my family and I need to sit down with all my coaches and, and kind of discuss this. You know, behind the scenes, this camp was really, really hard for a lot of reasons. And, you know, there was a lot of doubts early on on my end that things were going to come together just because I hadn't fought in, you know, almost two and a half years. And... You know, in the back of your mind, it's really easy for all that doubt to start creeping in. Of like, can I still prepare the way I could two years ago? And, okay, I was 29 then, I'm 31 now. You know, where am I at as an athlete? Am I still moving towards the peak or have I already tested over it? And so all those questions start to creep in your brain. And, you know, when you're out of shape and getting back into shape through camp and you just can't do the things you used to do, it's very frustrating. You don't know if you, if it's going to turn on the way you want So. But, I mean, my coaches, you know, Stuart, who was doing all my strength conditioning from triangle self-defense training, did an incredible job with me and, and built me up piece by piece and didn't go too hard with me. And, and you know, like I said, Sean holding all my pounds and guys like DeWan and John Howard, who were part of the camp and, you know, everything else, you know, really gave me that little extra push that kind of got me ready to get to go. So, all that said, there's a lot going on. And um, I definitely got to go back to the drawing board, but... Right now, I want to, you know, fight as much as possible. I love fighting. Well, let's take this in a different direction then, because earlier today, you know, you said to me and you posted on social media that you described the experience that you're having right now as a surreal experience. You know, it's been more than two years since you've gotten in the cage. And can you describe that surreal experience? Like, what what is surreal about it? What is the, uh, like... What 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 are, what are what kind of experience makes it, what, what kind of emotions are you experiencing that makes this particular experience a surreal one? You know, the last time I was in the cage, I had taken a fight on short notice because it was World Series of Fighting, and I wanted that opportunity. But also, there was a lot of other factors going on. My wife was pregnant at the time, and we were already knew we were moving back to North Carolina, and that I was going to have to you know, kind of quit fighting on hold and, and get a job and, and get everything settled down. And so I didn't feel like I got to give, you know, the best account of myself in that fight. Like there's you know, a lot of things in the background and I saw a tough kid, Adam Aquaviva, and I lost the split decision. And, you know, obviously anytime, anytime one judge decides for you and two decide against you, you know, all you needed to convince was one judge to, to get the win, and so all that stuff just kind of stuck in my craw for a long time, and I felt like there was that, you know, lack of resolution. To lose a split decision and then have to stop fighting and everything else, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, it's hard for me to accept that. And so I turned around and, you know, have been doing everything else here in North Carolina, and so as my daughter was born, I really wasn't training a lot, 
I took a lot of time off and um, was still doing some grappling matches and super fights and that kind of stuff. But I was going into them really, you know, woefully underprepared most of the time and, and not training the way I needed to. And then I was wrapped up in, you know, building the gym and, and getting elevated MMA Academy up and running and all that good stuff. But, you know, like I said, all those questions start to bother you of, okay, has my time fighting passing by? And is it going to be realistic for me to run a great camp out of my gym while also trying to build my students? Can, can I hold those two things together? And so to have this moment where, you know, January business-wise was our greatest month as a gym. We almost doubled in size as a gym in the month of January, and a lot of that was because of Shazio Kokar, who, who handles everything for me behind the scenes, did an incredible job and, and brought in all these new people. And meanwhile, all these new people are coming in, and they're not just, you know, people who are, like, conducting a transaction with a business, but I feel like the people that we've brought in in January have already, like, latched onto that tribe mindset of, you know, being all in this together and taking ownership of what we're doing. And then to turn around and, and go through this fight and to actually have it finally happen. And I knew, you know, going in week off, I was, I was prepared for anything because I've been in the fight game long enough to have seen it all. And so I knew there was a strong chance my opponent was going to do something. Miss weight, no show, pull out. And so when he pulled out, he had a very legitimate reason. But when he pulled out, I was like, yep, here it is. Yep. And, you know, going through the, the ups and downs of trying to get opponents approved at the last second and, and knowing that, you know, whether it makes me the greatest fighter of all time or not, you know, people are very reticent to take matches with a black belt. And so we had a lot of guys say, oh, yeah, I'll definitely fight this weekend and then find out I was a black belt and say, well, I'm not fighting a black belt on short notice, which I definitely respect. So all these things were rolled into, you know, all my emotional state going in. And then to get there and have, you know, like you said, the crowd behind me from the first moment and to get to have that good, pure experience and the fight to go the way I wanted, it's like my brain is trying to catch up with all of it. And, you know, when you're in fight camp, you have that laser focus of, okay, this date, this opponent, this date, this opponent, we're getting ready. And you're anticipating the fight and you're anticipating the win. And you're also kind of mentally steeling yourself against negative outcomes. So you're already saying like, okay, well, or at least me, you know, I'm already, I still, you know, I'm realistic. I know that no matter how well I prepare, the opponent has a say and he can come in and fight the fight of his life and, and beat me. It's possible. And I have to, you know, mentally prepare myself for that as well. And so I'm going through all these things, and then you wake up, you know, today, and you realize you don't now that part of what was the future for so long has now become the past, and it, it's a known quantity. And so to realize, like, okay, I, I thought my last fight was a win. I'm a three-in-one pro fighter now which the difference between being three and one and being two and two is, is a huge leap. You know, at two and two, you're the kind of guy who's going to, you know, typically settle in for like just a, you know, a, a traveling jobber career. And at three and one, you're still, you know, a prospect that's a couple wins away from the UFC. And so, you know, now I get to, you know, move into that reality and start planning my life that way. So there's a lot going on and it's just, you know, a crazy experience. So that's kind of what I was referring to. Yeah, obviously a lot to think about for you in the future and, and, and a lot of good things to think about. It's way better to be thinking about like, hey, I have this opportunity now. This actually went the way that I'd hoped it would when all these other things could have gone wrong. Then for the alternative, we talked to Trevor Hayes earlier about how, you know, one of his uh, fighter's opponents missed weight by 15 pounds um, and you just never know. And it sounds like you didn't even know you were going to be able to fight for sure until Tuesday. And then now it was actually Thursday. Thursday was when it got locked in. Wow! And so, so you didn't know until sounds like about forty-eight hours before you actually step in the cage that you knew that, that for sure this fight's going to happen. Yeah, and then that's still you know that's still counting. I've had opponents you know no show me the day of with no notice. So I don't, I don't count my chickens until they lock the cage. 
<laughs> once the guy's locked in there, once the guy's locked in there with me, you know, then then we're gonna have a fight. But up until then, I, I never, I never count on it 100. percent most definitely. Well, congratulations, Cody. It was a tremendous performance, and to see so much fan support for you and to get the result you wanted is certainly rewarding for all of the, those of us that have followed your career. So congratulations. Thank you so much, Jeff. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu gis or Tudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one two four Lotter Road right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cage Side is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cage Side Fight Company, 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. So that's Cody Malte, and I'm I'm really I'm grateful to Cody for calling in, and I'm grateful for the sort of introspective and cerebral discussion of what it's actually like leading up to a professional MMA fight of that nature. Even for people that aren't in Cody's position, who are you know Cody is balancing family, job, uh, he has an academy that he runs that he has to manage as a teacher and instructor, um, and and for all of that to go down and to lose an opponent at the last minute, to not even know until the cage door gets locked. That you're gonna that you're gonna have a fight and to still come up on top anyway in, in, on what I think is the best next level card so far and the best MMA card of this year so far this early year has to be a rewarding experience. So on our way out, I just want to remind you of a couple of other things. Uh, once again, uh, you you know hopefully you went out to next level last night to support local MMA. Hopefully you saw these great fights. If you didn't or if you did, you have the opportunity to go to Toro Cup February 11th at Triangle Jiu Jitsu slash Cage Side MMA in Durham, North Carolina. That's an all day event. Uh, there are going to be more than 20 Brazilian Jiu Jitsu super fights. So get out there and check that out. On February 17th and 18th, you have the opportunity to learn from uh, the current best woman Jiu Jitsu player in the world, Dominica Oblanicha. Friday night at Elevate MMA, uh, Saturday at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, February 4th is the Atlanta Open, so we will be doing some full reporting next week for you on local results from the Atlanta Open, and we'll also be able to preview Toro Cup for you. We will have the full card on this show. So uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank my guests, uh, Trevor Hayes and Cody Malte, for providing their perspective. And if you want to get a hold of the show, uh, tweet at us at uh, DWB Radio. Uh, go to our webpage, dirtywhitebelt.com, where you can find out all about the local events and submit your own events. You can also hit us up on Facebook at Dirty White Belt. My name is Jeff Shaw. It has been a pleasure talking to you, as always, and we will see you next Sunday.